0: I wonder if you've ever heard the name of Larry King, not Barry King, Larry King. Anyone? Yes, Larry King was an American uh, radio and TV show host, famous for interviewing others. And for years and years he did it, and uh, on his 20th anniversary he decided to be interviewed himself, and so... Someone else interviewed him and asked him all sorts of questions. Uh, one of the questions they asked him was, what is your greatest fear? What do you think he replied? He said, death. Well, he lived to 87. He died just early in January this year. He did contract COVID, though he recovered from COVID at that, uh, at that young age. Uh, though he then later uh, died of other complications. People fear all kinds of things. Dirt. Anyone? Water. Darkness. High places. And all these places have, all these places, all these fears have a name. There's a fear for being buried alive. Taxophobia. Or fear of strangers. Xenophobia. Or death. Necrophobia. Confined places, places. Claustrophobia. Did you know there's one called "Triscaidecaphobia." Do you know what that is? Triskydecaphobia. I think that's how you pronounce it. No. No. Fear of the number 13. <laughs> I know someone who lives on door number 13. How about the fear of rejection? How about the fear of suffering or the fear of persecution? How do we respond when we have external pressures and hostility Against us for being Christians. When you're at school, for example, and someone shouts at you because you're a Christian or mocks your faith, or when you're at work and you're asked to compromise your own beliefs, what do we do when the whole world opposes us for our own faith? Fear can be crippling, anxiety can be crushing. But what should be the Christian response to suffering or persecution? How should we even encourage or disciple the fearful? Well, we'll seek to answer that question this morning, not from the book of Genesis. We have been going through a series in Genesis, but I thought we'll have a a, a little longer break. Uh, We will be looking at 2 Thessalonians. So if you can open up your Bibles to... The letter, the second letter of Paul to the Thessalonians chapter 1, we will be considering the answer to that question or those questions from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let us come before the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that you may help us understand your word. That you may, Lord, build us up as believers that bears your name. That bear your name. And that you, O Lord, be honoured. Open our eyes. That we may behold wondrous things out of your law. In the name of our precious Saviour, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. From this chapter, I would like us to consider two things. One, Paul's reminder. And secondly, you remember. Paul's reminder, you remember. Paul's concern. He's concerned with alongside his fellow uh, co workers, Sylvanus and Timothy. A few months back, they had sent a first letter to the Thessalonians, but now they are writing again. In fact, it would have been just a few months between the one letter and the second. Why are they doing that? Well, it is likely that they've heard that their friends are terrified. The thing is, someone came up with the idea that the day of the Lord had come. That, that Jesus Christ some, somehow was either imminently coming or that he had already come. And so they were stirred with fear. Where's Jesus? Why haven't we seen him? And so Paul records the answer to that in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. The trouble is, in the same way, the same lazy believers whom Paul had to deal with in, 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 in 1 Thessalonians, and while he was in his ministry there, they were... They had quit their jobs because the day of the Lord has come and they were taking advantage of other gen- the generosity of other believers within the church. And so Paul has to bring stern words against them and he treats that in chapter 3 of, what, of 2 Thessalonians. But to make things worse and to add to their woes, the persecution they had got, been going through as a church intensified the heat was turned up. So Paul touches upon the very topic of persecution, of suffering in chapter 1. And this is what Paul does Paul reminds them. Paul reminds them of truths. Paul gives them Baby. doctrine. Baby. Let's look there in verse 1. Paul, Sylvanus, And Timothy, to the church or gathering, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying they belong to God. In fact, they are in God. They are in Christ in the same way that Noah was in the ark. These believers are in God. No other religion says things like that. No, no, no one in that time would have said, no Greeks would have said, "We are in Athena or in Zeus." But the Thessalonian believers are in God, the Father and in the Lord, Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here is, they belong. To God, Union with Christ is a sweet and soothing doctrine to suffering believers. They need to hear it. They need to be reminded of it. Again, verse one to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the father. Does it say the father? What does it say? Our, Our father. Now in chapter 1, Paul says, in God the Father. Very similar opening, but here he insists, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And to add to the emphasis in in, in verse 2, he does it again. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Thessalonian church needs to hear that they belong alongside Paul to God. Paul Reminds them truths. Paul gives them doctrine. Paul reassures them even with his prayers. The reason he reassures them with his prayers is because it is right and proper to thank God for them. After all, it is God who saved them. It is God. Who loves them. It is God who chose them. It is God who called them. If you turn up your Bible to the next page. And you see there in chapter 2 verses 13 onwards. It says. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers beloved by the Lord. Again this is doctrine. Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Through the sanctification by the Spirit and believing the truth. To this he called you, doctrine, through our gospel. So that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just in those two verses we find such rich biblical doctrines of our faith. Election, regeneration, effectual call. Sanctification, glorification. Why is Paul showering them with doctrine? Why is it that he's doing that? Because these suffering believers need to hear it. And if that weren't enough, back again to our verse. He tells them, on the one hand, that God's Growing them exceedingly in their faith. They are growing as a result of God's work on the the one hand. That means they're growing in their faith. They're growing in trust. But on the other hand, he's saying that God's growing them in their love for other believers. And so he gives thanks to God. God's with them. What a precious doctrine. Look at verse 3, chapter 1. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right. Because your faith is growing abundantly. That, that Greek word abundantly is to grow more and more or to increase exceedingly. And he adds, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. In other words, is the word for, for abounding. These believers... Are growing not in size because of the calories or the carbohydrates, but they are growing in faith and love because of the truth of who they are in Jesus Christ and what God is doing in them. And you know what? That is exactly what Paul had prayed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, that they may grow. And here he's saying, they are growing. This is why he's thanking God. My dear brothers and sisters, believers were never made to go it alone. Believers are made to grow in love more and more. And how are we going to show the love of one another unless we belong to one another? When we belong and we grow together as brothers and sisters, it is God's doing. Spiritual growth is sign of spiritual life. But... For a spiritual life, we need spiritual food. And what is the spiritual food? Well, Paul is giving them doctrine, truth, the reality of who they are in Jesus Christ. I told you some time ago that when Annette was just a little girl, she had a dolly. And she named her dolly as Alexandra, the president's daughter. That was the dolly's name. She would take Alexandra, the president's daughter, here and there, up and down, feed her. Raquel? Raquel. Not Raquel. Annette is is, is that way inclined, very motherly, we could say. When Marco was born, that's it, she forgot of Alexandra, the president's daughter. But she would feed Alexandra, she would nurture Alexandra, she would care for Alexandra, she would dress her, clothe her, you name it. And one day I asked Annette, Annette, you've had Alexandra for quite a while now. You keep feeding her and caring for her. Why isn't she growing? She looked at me and said, Dad, she's a dolly. <laughs> quite right. Dollies do not grow. People who are dead in their trespasses and sins and remain dead in their sin do not grow. Believers grow in faith and love, in hope. They grow as they are fed with God's word. And do you know what Paul's conclusion to this thanksgiving to God is? Look at verse 4. What does it say there? Therefore, what is his conclusion? Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions. Notice it's plural, that word, many persecutions. And in the afflictions, all kinds of afflictions. Again, it's a plural word. Believers, yes, will be afflicted. Believers, yes, will be persecuted. And what does it say? That you are enduring. The reason why Paul is boasting about them is because God is with them. Paul's boasting about them to the other churches. We could say, in a sense, he's saying, I am proud of you. He's joyful to hear of their spiritual growth despite the earthly difficulties and persecutions and afflictions. Yes, they are suffering quite badly for that matter. But God is with them and they are growing. Why? God's precious promises are feeding them, strengthening them, building them. What a precious teaching. My dear brothers and sisters, the world we live in today hates God. More and more, there's more discrimination for one's faith. I've had that in my life since I became a Christian at 16. I've had all sorts at university, university in snodland market i've had people shout and abuse and no doubt i'm pretty sure that many of you have also suffered at the hands of uh, crude jokes or sneers for being christians on the one hand or maybe even worse but how will we respond when the heat increases to unimaginable levels Following the Queen's speech just early this year, the government confirmed plans of the so-called conversion therapy. This means they are planning to outlaw counselling and prayer to help someone away from homosexuality. It'd be illegal. On the other hand, official figures have showed just last week, I believe, or two weeks ago, that a quarter of pregnancies in the UK... Are terminated by abortion. One in four women become pregnant, decide to take the life of their unborn child. And there is hope in Christ, even if, if any of us here has, 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 has done that. That, that. that is murder. But there is an increasing accommodation to hating God and, and don't dare talk about it. In March this year, the University of Manchester advised against the use of words mother and father. I'm not making these things up. You can't say mother or father. Imagine going through university and not being able to, to even say mother or Father. And we can go on and on talking about postmodernism, transsexualism, freedom of speech, vaccine passports, and on and on and on. The trouble is, if I carry on giving you examples, if we talk about these things and on and on and on, we'll shrink back in fear. Our minds will be filled with so and so, and the next thing we'll know, we will run away to safety. Oh, and by the way, and then there's safety. The world we live in today is obsessed with safety. We live in a world that worships safety like never before. And what's worse, the disease is catchy. Far more infectious than a virus. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in safety and it's right. It is right and proper. We, we, we're careful and wise. And, but risks are also okay we all take daily risks we cross the road we light up the stove we stand under a tree when it's raining we take showers because we can slip we tell our wives that they've been putting on weight (laughs) we all take risks every day we drive every day. But what would happen if we start to listen to daily statistics of road accidents? Think about it big cars, little cars, motorbikes, push bikes, pedestrians, deaths by age. We start looking at the gruesome pictures of those uh, accidents. We start listening or or going to Google and looking at the, the, the daily statistics. We start reading of real life stories of torn families because of car accidents. We'll become paranoid about it. We'll end up convinced that it is too much of a risk to take. Sadly... Many believers shrink back in fear. The thing is, of course, we'll shrink back in fear if our mind is filled with the things of this world. But when our minds are filled with the Spirit, if we begin to pray in the Spirit, if we begin to walk in the Spirit and be filled by the Spirit of God, we have a completely different perception of things. I know of someone who struggled for many years with a particular sin, with jealousy. The trouble is, that particular sin or those particular thoughts were consuming her, consuming her so to the point of despair. Suicide was knocking, and knocking, and. Knocking on her door. By the grace of God, prayer and fasting, she filled her mind with, is what? Doctrine. By God's grace, she refuses to dwell in her sin. She refuses to dwell in those sinful thoughts because she is Christ's. She knows she has died to sin when Christ died on the cross, Romans chapter 6. She has died to sin and by God's grace she is now flourishing in Christ. I praise God for her works of faith, her labour of love and her steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Which are the mercies of God in Romans? Read Romans 1 to 11. What is Romans 1 to 11? Doctrine. Who we are in Christ. Of what he has done for us. And in view of the mercies of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship, Romans says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. His word says. Let me ask you, my dear friends. Friends. If Christ were knocking at the door, if Christ were coming tonight, because Christ could come at any moment. Oh. If Christ were coming today. How will he find you? Now, the, the, the next verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, What will happen to those who, who, who persecute believers and who are insisting in their, in their sin? He will come and judge them forever and ever to eternal condemnation. And verse 10 reminds us what will happen to those who believe and who press on in their faith. God will, They will be glorified in Christ Jesus. Verse 10. But how will the Lord find us if he were to come tonight, filling our minds with stuff or filling our minds with his precious promises? Will he find us caring for the needy or cowering in fear, growing in faith, love and hope or binging in in Netflix until the cows come home? Will he find us sharing the gospel or will he find us staying at home? When our minds, as a church that bears his name, are filled with his word, risks for the kingdom become tempered with faith, hope and love. This is exactly what happened in the Thessalonian church. The Thessalonian church remained active despite the real threat of the unbelieving mob. Even Paul himself sends them Timothy, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 2. He finds the need of sending Timothy despite the great risk of persecution so that he could establish their believers and build them up in their most holy faith. My dear friends, our world today has many gods. But ultimate safety is found in God, in Christ, in Christ alone. For whosoever wants to save his life will lose it. but Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. And so Paul reminds them of pure doctrine, pure teaching. Heavenly truths of heavenly realities of who we are in Jesus Christ. That is Paul's reminder. But how does that apply to us today at Pauling Baptist Church? Paul's reminder. You remember. 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 Let me exhort you to... Grab yourself a book on doctrine, maybe systematic theology, and and use that as part of your daily routine, maybe in the morning or in the afternoon, opening up a portion of the scripture and looking at what the Bible teaches about who we are in Jesus Christ and read your word and pray. Maybe grab yourself a, a devotional book. Every morning where you would read the the, the word of God and read the the devotional book and then glory and praise God for his wondrous salvation and, and pray. Be reminded of those heavenly doctrines every single day. But be intentional. Fill your mind with the precious doctrines of our faith. Read of God's majesty and glory, the triune God who has revealed himself in the word. The creator of the heavens and the earth, the God who who flung the stars up in the sky. Read of how God is wise, holy and powerful in preserving every creature and every action. Read of the God who is abounding in steadfast love and mercy, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Behold the mercy of God in providing a saviour to die for us sinners before even the foundation of the world. The God, the eternal, merciful, powerful, infinite in majesty, goodness and truth, in loving kindness, wisdom and love. Behold God. Believe in God. And Jesus said, believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, yes, believe in God, who, unlike anything in this world, is able to calm the troubled heart. But Jesus also said, Believe also in me, believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the Savior promised from centuries past, the incarnate God, precious doctrine. The incarnate God who came to save sinners. The saviour of whom Isaiah prophesied would die in place of those he loved. We are loved. Read of him who lived the sinless life on behalf of his people. And died a death in the death of his people. Took our place. Read and rejoice in him who rose again from the dead, defeating death. Yes, dead, died in the death. Of Christ. Christ, who was lifted up and is seated now at the right hand of the Father. Read of His return and His judging of the living and the dead. Jesus Christ, whom every eye will see, whom every tongue will confess, and every knee will bow before the majesty of his glory one day. As Pastor Phil Newton once wrote, This Jesus is full of glory. Honor, majesty and power that we know him by many titles because none fully express his fullness and accomplishments. Son of God, son of man, Messiah, King of kings, Lord of lords, the good shepherd, the light, the door, the way, the truth, the life, the lion of the tribe of Judah, The Lamb, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the great God and Saviour, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Fill your minds each day in and day out with these great promises. And my brothers and sisters, share what you learn with other believers, because this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. A mature believer is imitated by the younger, inexperienced believer. And so the mature believer would share of God's word. And you know what will happen? In the same way as the mature believer is reading the word and his, light, his eyes are lightened, the, the younger, struggling believer will hear and his eyes will be lightened up. Why? Because there is life. Spiritual life. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, may the Lord continue to transform us and change us to be the people he would have us to be. If you are struggling with sin, be reminded of his word. If you're struggling with sin, be reminded of those precious hymns. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there. Who made an end of all my sin. All my sin. All my sin. If you're struggling with anxiety, my dear brothers and sisters, replace those thoughts with doctrine. For every anxious thought that comes to your mind, think of who you are in Jesus Christ ten times. Whenever you look at the news and it consumes you, just, just... Put it down and look at ten times at the word of God and his promises. It will build you. For every time you fear, remember, prayerfully, remember the manifold wisdom and glory and majesty and truth and doctrine found in his word. Be built, believer. Be built in the Lord. Remember, remember him. Remember his word, for we are in Christ. And if you are not in Christ, if this is perhaps the very first time you've heard the gospel, well, may I urge you turn to him? Uh, and I mean, maybe the first time, maybe you've heard it so many times, but today you've heard it in a different way. This is the effectual call. God bringing his people, dragging his people from God dead unto life for the glory and praise of his name. Repent from your sin. Turn away and turn and behold the beauty of his glory. John Chrysostom. Chrysostom comes from a Greek word meaning gold-tongued and he lived up to his name. He was one of the most impressive speakers In church history, gifted man. He preached fearlessly in the capital of Eastern Roman Empire. His preaching made many angry, including the empress of the time. So she arranged for him to be exiled. When he was told of his fate, this is what Chrysostom responded. Listen to this. What can I fear? Will it be death? Death? But you know that Christ is my life and that I shall gain by death. Will it be exile? But the earth and all its fullness is the Lord's. Will it be loss of wealth? But we brought nothing into the world and can carry nothing out. Thus, all the terrors of the world are contemptible in my eyes. And I smile at all of these good things. Poverty, I don't fear riches. I do not sigh for death. I do not shrink from. Why? He knew who he was in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, you've heard Paul's reminder. Now you remember. Amen. Let's pray.